Our scripture for this morning is Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to Psalm 127. Over the last several months, our family was joyfully exiled on the island of Sabbaticos. And it was there, it was a wonderful three months of several trips and even a new puppy by your amazing generosity from one of you a couple nights ago. Uh, Thank you, thank you for this time of refreshment for our family. In any occupation, it's easy to feel like you're the composer Bach, who's just kind of holed away, not really given much freedom, but just told to mass-produce this stuff. Whatever your profession, it's easy to feel that way. So it is quite a blessing to be a part of a church where we actually care about the spiritual journey of other members of, of the body. And so thank you for your, your generosity to our family over these last several months. It has been a wonderful uh, reprieve and a joyful blessing to us. Thank you very much. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know unless you are the one who builds the house, we labor in vain. So God, as we come to your word and we open your word and we we seek and labor to understand you more, God, we ask that you would be the one at work in us and through us and through your spirit, moving through your word, that you would be proclaimed and that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified above all things, God. Let us not labor in vain. Let us not even sit here and listen to your word. In vain, we ask that you would work in us and through us, God. That you would be glorified. And that we would see your beauty. True beauty. Amen. Have you ever longed for something and realized once you have it, it's not actually what you wanted? In the first place. Maybe you get the new job or finally you're not single anymore. Finally you're married or maybe you're not married without kids or now you have kids. And whatever it is, you kind of make it to the next phase or the next step. 
You're not grinding out 60 hours a week anymore. You'll be able to cut it down to 40, which is nice. And then you move into retirement. Okay. But then you get there. And you ask yourself the question. Is this it? If that question has haunted you. You never say it out loud, right? Just in your head. In your moments of quietness, you go, really, this, this is it. Have you ever asked yourself that question? This psalm is for you. Let's take a look at it. It's broken up quite clearly in the first two verses here. What you have is... What you should not be doing, do not waste your life trying to create your own blessings. Verses 1 and 2. Don't waste your life trying to create your own blessings. But then, what do we do? Verses 3, 4, and 5. What are we going to be looking at? We're saying, don't create your own blessings, but rather embrace the blessings that children are. Verses 1 and 2. Don't create your own false blessings, but rather receive the blessings of God. So let's go to the text here, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, what do they do? They labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. For the weary Christian, these words are some of the most encouraging and some of the most disheartening words that you'll ever ever come across. You mean you're telling me that you can rise up early, you can build, you can watch over a city, you can do all of these things, but in the end it will amount to nothing? Yes, yes. It's quite disheartening. But it's also encouraging because you're... In front of humility, you go, I have nothing to add. I, I really, I'm not that good of a builder. I'm not that good at rising up early. I wish I was, but I'm not one of those people. I have productivity books, but they're, I haven't actually finished reading them yet. I don't have anything to give. This little bit that I give, is it anything? Yes, it is encouraging because if the Lord is in it, even if it's so little, but then, well, then God is in it. It will last and it will be eternal. So here, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, they labor in vain. Such is the man who, who builds his house. He's not just building a house. See, when you build a house, what you're trying to do is build something that's going to last. Your labor and your striving. If you've been in business, you, you labor and you strive and nothing's given to you, but you're proud, not prideful, but you're proud of every dollar that you make. Calvin is in, in his institutes, he, he says, every man is a king of his own kingdom. All that changes is the size of his kingdom. For some men, it's half of the known world, right? And for other men, it's just half of themselves. They can, that's all they can control. But even in that, we are trying to build up something, whatever it is, a whole empire, or even half of yourself. You're trying to build up something that will last and will endure beyond yourself. So it's not just the man who's building his house. 
that falls into this trap when he hangs, when he's done and he's hanging up his tool belt for the last time. He wants this home that will endure past him. But it's not just him. What about you? Why is it that you stay late at work? Why is it that you can't turn it off? It's midnight. You just can't stop thinking about it. And you're going to rise up early and you're going to go back in some more. Why? Why? What are you doing? Well, quite naturally, you're trying to create something greater, something bigger, something larger beyond yourself that will endure far longer than you will be around. Read the, bi- read the biographies of the most prominent industrialists that we've seen. And they all follow the same pattern. And it's not beautiful. You see it in the Tower of Babel. That's the pattern. Come, they say. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower and to it, where the top will reach up to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, say the industrials. Say the men of Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed and spread out. Lest we become unknown throughout all of the kingdom. It's not just that, but what motivates you to publish the next paper? To get the next degree, to move your market share from 14% to 18%. Oh, now, now I've made it. We fall into the same trap of trying to build up a tower, no matter how big our kingdom might be, even if it's just half of ourselves, trying to build up a tower up to the heavens, no matter the height. So what you're actually trying to do here is to receive the blessings of God. You're attempting to grasp at it, though, by your own means. So you have the fruit of it. And the fruit of it is that you're ornately cursed. You have the blessings of God, yes, but you're trying to bring them about by your own efforts, by your own rationality, by your own giftings. Rather than receiving them from the Lord and allowing Him to bless you, you go and grasp at the fruit of the forbidden tree. So yes, you have it. Congratulations. You look ornate, but you're ornately cursed. Spurgeon said massive walls of ancient architects crumbled into ruins and their toil has melted away like the froth of vanity. Later on in the same writing he writes, The trowel and the hammer, the saw and the plane are the instruments of vanity unless the Lord is the master builder. Here we are. If you have any bit of hope left in your life, keep going. You're not even on verse 1, right? Keep going here. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman, he stays awake in vain. The greatest of the cities that were never supposed to fall, Constantinople, Rome, whatever they might be, they've all fallen. At the exact moment that the Lord has withdrawn his hand of protect, protection. You see this in Jerusalem as you read through Kings, first and second Kings. What happens? Why do they fall and when do they fall? They fall the moment God pulls his hand of blessing back from them. And we're down here squibbling 
And we can't see it. And so we want political answers to what's happening. We look around us and we see our own cities crumbling. Larger cities. It'll happen here too. We see them crumbling and then we want a political answer. We say, oh, the men and women on the wrong side of the aisle, they're the one ruining it. we got to get other people from the other side of the aisle. They will be our great savior. Well, that doesn't address the root problem. The root problem is our horrible, wretched sin that God will not put up with any longer. So when he pulls back his hand of blessing, the city will fall. Watch as you may, watch as you must, watch as you will. The city will fall. Moms, you toil and labor to protect your brood of children. Good. You should. It is God who keeps them safe. Labor away, protect your family, but ask that God would watch over them. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Again, you you get what you want. You get what you want, but it's not actually what you want. You rise up early and you go to bed late. And you get your bread. But it's the bread of anxious toil. And you eat it. And it's bitter. And you're disgusted with yourself because you know it's bitter. But you can't really admit that it's bitter because you have so much invested into it. And you can't get out now. So what do you do? You go, oh, I'm going to keep going. It'll get better. It'll get better. It'll get better. You rise up a little more early. to Go to bed a little bit more late. Again, you can have the objects of blessing, but if they're brought about by the wrong means, they're a curse. The bread of anxious toil is nothing to rejoice over. No, no, come, partake of the bread of life. That's what you should be doing. Come, come to Christ. Nourish yourself on the bread of life. Okay, what do you see here? Unless the Lord's with you, what's being repeated again and again and again? You see it three different times. Those who build it, they they labor in vain. You stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. And in Hebrew poetry, if you want to make something emphatic, you repeat it again and again. And that's exactly what Solomon has been doing. All of your labors, all of them, apart from the blessing of God, apart from God raising your sails and being the one to be the wind in your sails to drive you forward, unless that is God driving you forward, unless that is Christ pulling you towards Him, all of your labors, all of your strivings, everything is nothingness. It's meaningless. To put it another way, apart from God... Your life is worthless. Go ahead. You you can enjoy your bread of anxious toil. Go ahead. Enjoy it. 
But apart from God driving you forward, it's nothing. It's consider the man who wrote it. Solomon. He has everything that you could dream of. He has everything that you that you could want. The houses, the riches, the wisdom, the kingdom filled, not with war, but a kingdom filled with peace. Oh, they were all his. And it's one thing for, for a man of poverty to, to disparage the, the riches. But if it's a man of great wealth who says it's not worth it, it brings you nothing. He's expended his youthful pleasures. But this is the man that speaks with the greatest of wisdom. He lets you know that what you seek for is not actually what you're seeking for. And do not waste your life, but allow his failures, allow Solomon's failures to not be your own. So notice what is he also, who is he not saying? This is a caveat here. He's not calling you to withhold from building. He's not calling you to stop laboring. He's not calling you to stop watching. He's not calling you to not rise up early and go to bed late. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that you should be doing these. That's the normative practice. That you should be doing these. But you should be doing them in conjunction and joined with Christ and with Him working in you and through you in all that you do. So when you're driving the hammer, you're doing it to the glory of God. When you're scrubbing up, you should do it to the glory of God. When you're hanging piggybacks, you do it to the glory of God. When you're publishing papers, you do it all to the glory of God. That is a life well spent. In the midst of this anxious toil, look at this last line here. He gives to his beloved sleep. In the midst of anxious toil, he gives this sweet repose uh, to his beloved. When we are the ones who are getting swept away by the storms of life, and the gale winds are crashing over the, the bow of your boat as they are in Mark 4. And you've been in this situation, right? And if you're out in a boat and the waves start coming over the edge, especially if you don't have... Let's say you're impulsive and you're in a mountain lake and you don't have a life jacket, but you want to go to an island, just hypothetically, two miles out there to go camping when you go for it. And the waves are crashing over the edges and you start panicking and fearing for your life and you untie your boots because, you know, if you have to jump in and swim, you're probably not going to make it, but you're really not going to make it if you have these big clunky boots on. Hypothetically, if that's you, even in these situations... When you're crying out, teacher, do you not care? Do you not care if we are going to drown? There is Christ sleeping away. And you have to admit, when this storm is happening, you don't want to be the one dropping the sail and straining at the oars. You don't want that. You want the one who has the peace to be sleeping at the back or the stern of the ship. That's what you want. When you eat of that bread, it is not bread of anxious toil. It is a true blessing from God. 
Let's just keep moving forward here. We see that Solomon's basically just ripped our hearts out. And he said, my life, much of I spend, it was pretty worthless. Don't do what I did. And then you read this and you go, my goodness, I'm walking that same path. But then he keeps going. Verse 3. Look at, look at the text here. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, if this transition makes no sense to you, you're in good company. Right? It, it, it doesn't seem like these, these two should be together. Like it should be beginning and end. We sing past the promise and we speak nothing of building. Right? Later on. There, there's nothing in that. And when we sing uh, let nothing of our efforts stand, we don't jump into then a chorus about having children. Right? We, we keep these ideas separate. You have your work and then your home. And what Solomon's doing is bringing them together for some reason. There's enough substance in verse 1 and 2 just to be its own psalm. There's enough there. Why would he join these two together? It seems like this you're hitting a wall and kind of going, well, that's weird, and then going around to it, to verses 3, 4, and 5. No, when you're reading the text, you have to be asking, you have to be asking yourself, why are these together? What's Solomon doing here? What, do, what does he want me to see? I understand verses 1 and 2. Okay, I'm going to work for the Lord. I understand 3, 4, and 5. Okay, children. How are these together? What's happening here is that you're not going to find your blessings. And you're building and you're watching and you're rising early. And you're not going to find your blessings in the partaking of anxious bread. The bread of anxious toil. Where are you going to find this blessing that you've been striving after? Where are you going to find it? Come. Listen. Here it is. Children. Children. That's it. Children. I don't know if you're thinking of something. No. <laughs> really? <laughs> Children? Really? I was a child. I don't think it was a blessing to too many people as a child. I like I, I just understand my my own life as a child. No, no one looked at my parents and said, "Oh, blessed are you." You know, look at this son. No, really, if your children, like the ones who come in front of you and take the last of the cinnamon roll out of the dish that you want, and you're left with the burned ones on the edge, you're like, "No, that these yes, these children." Are a blessing from the Lord, a heritage from the Lord. You gotta be careful that you, we, we, we swim in the waters of the world and we have to be careful that we don't take their gospel into ourselves. That children are, are just a nuisance. You know, they're, they're too expensive, right? You've all been there, you've seen this, you know, you tell one of the grandparents that we're having number seven, little baby Nazis on the way. And one of the grandparents says, oh, I'm sorry. Go, no, you, you don't get it. No, this is, this is a blessing. This is something to rejoice in. This is something to, to, to weep over. 
They're not a nuisance. They're a blessing from God. And these children are like an arrow. And the hand of a warrior. If your children are godly, they, they pierce the heart of your enemies. Say what they want, whatever about you. You have godly children. They know they got nothing on them. Children, listen to this. Though. The ungodly child is not an arrow in the heart of your parents' enemies. The ungodly child is a heart, is an arrow into the heart of the parents. Live out the blessing that you are unto your parents. So I think what we have to do is, is reorient our understanding of what family is. As I'm meditating on this uh, throughout the week, you, I began to realize it. So, fair warning, I'm going to say something, talk for a little bit, I'm going to say something you don't like at all. Stick with me, you'll see where we're going. What we have going on here is how the temporal is pointing to the eternal. Right? The temporal is pointing to the eternal. You see this in true of, of sexuality and marriage. Marriage is, is temporal. It's to point to Christ, His bride, the church. Or sexuality is to point to our union with Christ. Same thing with family as well. Not just marriage and sexuality, but same thing with family as well. So when I speak of you guys as my brothers and sisters, until I start meditating on this passage, what I think of, what I come from a really tight and close family, incredibly tight. And you hear growing up, nothing matters but the family. You take care of the family. Again, let me repeat, nothing matters but the family. And you know this growing up. I even tell it to the kids, our kids. You take care of your family. Nothing matters but the family. And even in our family, my brother and sister, they know everything about me. And they still love me. And if any of us step out of line a little bit and do something that is unbecoming to the family name, you hear about it. That's not acceptable. That's not allowed. And the family, they, can, they take everything. They take everything, but you're safe, right? You don't have anything that's of your own. It's the family's, and that's well understood. Do you see what the family's pointing to? See, I've had it backwards my whole life until this week. I've had it backwards. So when I speak of my brothers and sisters in Christ, you guys, my brothers and sisters, I think what I've been saying is we're close like I'm incredibly close with my biological temporal brothers and sisters. Aren't we close? Because we're almost close like these guys. I've had it backwards this whole time. My temporal brother and sister are to point to a lens to illuminate what we have in the family of Christ. The temporal is to be a lens to illuminate that which is eternal and true. It's true of sexuality, true of marriage. Now we see how this is true of family. Let's go to kids. The psalm is true 
on a, a temporal horizon, and it's also true on an eternal horizon as well. The children whom you hold and love and would give anything for, and you wouldn't, if you wouldn't give anything for your children, you're, you're scum. These children whom you would give anything for, they are your temporal children. I'll prove it to you. Read Revelation 18 and the beginning of Revelation 19. Your relationship with your children and that structure as parent and child, if they don't repent and turn from their sins, you will be rejoicing over their destruction as they drink of the wrath of God. This is your temporal children, which is to point you to the eternal children that you can have, raising them up in Christ. As much as you love your child and would give anything for them, of course you would. Seek after eternal children as well. Do you see the hope that's here in these verses? So the the barren woman who reads this and goes, Children are a heritage from the Lord and I have none. No, no, there's great hope in this. So barren woman, weep and wail no more over the loss or the lack of your children, but rejoice in God. Rejoice in God that you can have children eternal whom you will raise up. You who think you're you're too old to have more children, so this certainly doesn't apply to you. No. Look around you. Look in this room. Look around you. Don't spend your last years slowly turning down the wick and your lantern until the it flickers a couple last times and is snuffed out. Don't let that be your last years. He's like Captain Jones. He says, I've not yet begun to fight. Use your last years. Use them wisely. Look around you. Invest in these children. Your eternal children in Christ. Raise them up. Invest in them. Pray for them. Pray for the families around you. Pray for these children. Engage in their lives. It could be something as writing them birthday cards and letting them know that you're praying for them. To be part of this family, go back to our... If you're part of this family, it takes everything. If you're part of this church, we have these same expectations. Watch over us. Love us. Care for us. Invest in the children around you. Because verse 5, Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. Fill your quiver with spiritual children in Christ. Okay, in closing, what does it look like? If this is true, what does it look like if this is then, if the Spirit of Christ works this true, this this truth out in my life? What does it look like? Go back to verses 1 and 2. It's good to be blessed, okay? It's good to be blessed, but don't confuse your idols with God's blessing, okay? Don't confuse your idols with God's blessing. We live in in a time of unimaginable prosperity. If you have three days food, you're among the most blessed that have ever lived. 
Don't confuse your idols with God's blessing. If you grasp at a worldly idol and you take a hold of it, don't justify it by saying, oh, well, yeah, I must really be blessed by God. No, you grabbed a hold of an idol. You got to get rid of it, whatever it might be. Just because you're blessed, don't confuse that. Only you know in your own heart. But don't confuse your, your ability to grasp at an idol and take a hold of it in our time of prosperity. Don't confuse that with God's blessing. Okay, number two. Looking at again at verses 3, 4, and 5 about children. Allow God to determine. I'm going to kind of poke myself into your intimate family conversations you have at home. Allow God to determine when you will begin and when you will end. When you will conclude having children. God is sovereign over every aspect of our lives. Over our faith, over our finances, over our time, over our affections. Allow the sovereignty of God to come into this aspect and area of your life. God is mocking Job in Job chapter 38. He's saying, what? Are you a great job? Are you going to be the one who tells the seeds you shall begin here and you shall end there? Without even knowing it, we do the same thing with kids. I'll take whatever constraining measures on the beginning and whatever constraining measures on the end. And I'm going to take the sovereignty of God, push that aside. And I'm going to be the one to be sovereign over this area. Give this part of your life over to the sovereignty of God's sovereignty of God. When He wants you to begin having children, you will. And when He wants you to stop having children, you will. It's as easy as that. There's no place for prudence in the measuring of God's blessings. There's no place for prudence in the measuring of God's blessings. Read the text. Are they a blessing or not? Are you going to trust God's word that they're a blessing? If you do, turn this over to God. Finally, you have to ask yourself, am I a child of God? You have to ask yourself that. Some of you are in this room, but you're not part of the family. You're in the room, but you're not a part of the family. Part of a family, but not part of the family. And you'll be excluded from every blessing. You'll partake in every portion of God's wrath. And you... Let's just be honest, right? If you're not a child of God, you're on your way to hell. And I'd be a derelict pastor if I didn't tell you. If you're not a child of God, you're on your way to hell. And you deserve it because you've sinned against the eternal and holy God. And you prove that you deserve it. Because in your heart, you really don't care. My friend, trust in God. Become a child of God. And it is true that children are a blessing from the Lord. Because it is true that there is one child who has come and who has blessed us all, Christ Jesus. Who came, who was born in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
And he was the blessing of all children because he was entirely faithful and obedient to his father in a way that we cannot even comprehend. And he was faithful even to the point of death and even death upon a cross. So turn to Christ, all of you. Turn to Christ that you might be a blessed child of God. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that though we were once children of wrath, we can come now to you humbly, meekly, confidently into your throne. Not as children of wrath, but as adopted heirs, true sons and true daughters. And God, we ask that you would work this into our heart. God, we ask that you would crucify the self-idolatry that is in our hearts. That would seek any, that would see anything that you count as a blessing, as a hindrance or a nuisance. God, let us embrace your blessings and God, let us be faithful and good stewards of these temporal blessings that you have given us. God, we ask that you would work faith in our children. That they would not be temporal children, but that they would be eternal brothers and sisters in Christ. God, work in our church, work in our church to live out this light, this true light, the glory of your eternal existence together as Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. This true family of which we are trying to mirror so poorly sometimes, but God, let us shine that light in this world of darkness by your Spirit. Amen. Amen.